0: You're listening to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, hosted by Rev Yearwood, Mustafa Santiago Ali, and me, Antonique Smith. Each week, we host important conversations with innovators, policymakers, cultural influencers, and movement leaders who are leading the way to a 100% clean energy and just world.
1: Welcome to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. I am Mustafa Santiago Ali, Senior Vice President of Climate, Environmental Justice, and Community Revitalization at the Hip Hop Caucus. You are listening to our radio show and podcast that delivers real talk on climate change and environmental justice. No sides, just real talk. We're all about real solutions for stronger communities and making sure everyone can move from surviving to thriving. Thank you to WPFW 89.3 for hosting us here in the studio in D.C. We want to thank a couple of our sponsors, uh, the League of Conservation Voters and the Union of Concerned Scientists. And also a big thank you for all of our listeners who tune in each week. We love you and appreciate you so much. You can check out the show at our blog at think100.info, and be sure to follow us online at Think 100 Show. Also, be sure to look us up on iTunes podcast, where you will be able to listen to past episodes with some amazing guests. So let's get right into it today. We recently sat down with two amazing leaders doing big things to protect communities, hold those responsible for injustices accountable, and doing what they can to ensure future generations have a healthy planet to live on. So first up, I recently sat down with the mayor of Denver, Michael Hancock, to learn more about how the Mile High City is definitely thinking 100%. So let's roll it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Think 100, the coolest show on climate change. And couldn't get any cooler today because we have a fantastic Yes, with us, we have Mayor Michael Hancock, the mayor of Denver, who's with us. Mayor, thank you for being with us. Man, glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, without a doubt. You are doing some incredible work. Um, not only myself, but I also have friends who follow you. Um, really, really proud of the way that you continue to stand up not only for our most vulnerable communities but for all communities um there in Denver but also across the country um so i know that our listeners are going to be super excited about the conversation that we're going to have today you know um, you know i like to start folks off with sort of their their history their their journey if you will whether it's around environmental issues climate issues social justice issues can you sort of take us back to some of the you know when you were first starting out Um, and your journey to actually becoming the mayor um, and and also around climate and environmental issues. Wow. Well,
2: Mustafa, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Um, You know, my journey is in terms of becoming the mayor, a unique one, actually. I grew up in Denver. I'm the youngest of 10 children. Uh, No money whatsoever. Very poor family. My parents divorced when I was about five or six years old. I do have a twin sister, so she joins me in that space. Um, and I just remember from that moment we struggled mightily um, to just put food on the table, let alone keep a roof over our heads. Even at one point we were homeless as a family. Uh, It was a brief time, but Mom was a warrior. She worked hard, and uh, though it was never easy, we at least survived long enough to become adults, and I was blessed to had people who kind of came into my life, made sure that I knew I was going to college, mm-hmm. make sure that uh, you know, I knew that there was an opportunity for success in life if I just stayed focused, and uh, and that's exactly what happened. And so, you know, um, I grew up in Denver, loved Denver. You know, it's, it's my home. And when you talk about environmental justice, mm-hmm. I think there are really two things that come to mind. One, having grown up in Denver, I remember the very epic snowstorms mm-hmm. um, where we literally would either shut down our city um, and it would take, uh, you know, a week or so to come out of that snowstorm. Um, all of a sudden, those snowstorms stop happening, and you wonder what happened to them. Why Why aren't we having as many snow events as we used to have in the city of Denver? And it makes you want, you know, as you start hearing about climate change and you start studying a little more, you begin to understand that, yeah, we may have been very well impacted by climate change in Denver and Colorado, and our climate has begun to adjust on us. Uh, the other thing is that as I was coming through college, well, there was a phrase, and you mentioned it, and that was environmental justice. Mm. Uh, that uh, early in my career, um, after graduating from college, I heard the term in college, but as I, early in my career, I started, got into an organization called the National Civic League, where we traveled all over the country, helped cities gain the capacity to address its own challenges. And one of the things that was very, very apparent to me, almost in every state I went to, almost in every city where there was a, primarily minority communities somewhere in that city, that demographic was situated around um, smokestacks or electrical mm-hmm. uh, plants, and, and you know, there was a history of, of lawsuits and, 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 and their contamination and what have you, and it became very apparent to me that we have a very ugly history in this nation around um, environmental justice and injustice, if you will. Uh, particularly around people of color and people who have low
1: economic uh, uh, means. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things that we're super blessed about is that there are leaders who are willing to stand up uh, on the issues of environment and climate. You are one of those folks. Um, even when we have here in Washington leadership that is not doing what it needs to do to protect our people, right. I, I know that you were one of those folks who early on stood up around uh, and, and spoke out about climate change. Can you talk a little bit about why you did that uh, and and what that now looks like.
2: Well, when I speak in front of environmental groups uh, uh, around climate change, the first thing I say to them is, first of all, I want to be very clear. In Denver, Mm -hmm. we believe in science. Mm -hmm. And science is telling us something is happening here. And we as a people need to acknowledge and recognize it and begin to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Two, climate change and the issue of the environment It's something that I think crosses every demographic group in the nation, in the world, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Every group is prone to or vulnerable to being impacted by the environment. And uh, it could be a game changer, quite Mm -hmm. frankly. And if we can take, for example, some of these renewable sources, we can lessen the cost and the impact on, yes, some of our low economic Our income groups in our in our in our cities and states around the country, Um, and we can also create whole new economies and new economic opportunities for those who may you know may be challenged along the economic margin. So that's why it's important that we stand up. But also, I believe that our responsibility, yours, mine, our parents, the people who come behind us, is to leave this place better than what we found Mm it. And. The reality is that we are damaging our climate and we're damaging our environment. And my responsibility to my children and to my grandchildren um is to make sure that I address this issue along with my peers, this issue of climate change and we do the best we can to make sure they have the tools to survive it as well. Otherwise, um they're gonna be in a warmer on a warmer earth, um they're gonna continue to have cataclysmic type uh, uh weather mm-hmm. issues and it's gonna be more expensive. For them to survive
1: in this in this world, and we can do better than that. You know, I want to go back to something you just shared because it, it is so apropos. So I know being raised in Appalachia, you know, and many times people will say you have to choose between the environment and jobs or right. climate and jobs. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about how you are? Because we believe in myth busting, right, you know. right, 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 it. <laughs> exactly. And can you talk a little bit about in Denver what you all are doing uh, in relationships to jobs? And climate and environment, because I know you guys have actually been successful in that space.
2: Absolutely. There, listen, there are tremendous economies around the the green economy. We had that term mm-hmm. coined um, under President Obama. Um, the reality is is that if you if we're pursuing solar, which we pursue in, in Denver, mm-hmm. there are tremendous employment, skills training opportunities, and ultimate sustainable jobs in the solar industry. Uh, so the sun creates that opportunity for us to, to expand our solar economy in Colorado. We have 300 days of sunshine a year mm-hmm. in Denver. Mm-hmm. And so solar is a big power source for us. The other one is wind. Mm-hmm. You know, we can use wind, uh, build these turbines, again, training opportunities to create a highly skilled employment opportunity for those who maybe don't have the education to um, to be competitive in another com- economy. This creates that, that opportunity. Let me also just say, you know, the opportunity around agribusiness. Mm -hmm. As we think about how we're going to feed 7 billion people in this world, Denver hopes to be the epic center for that research. And the opportunity to create um, uh, training opportunities and employment opportunities around agriculture and agribusiness um, is huge. I know of people who maybe have just a high school education, who've gone out and started their own clean energy business, Mm -hmm. helping people um figure out how to create greater and more efficient housing for themselves, you know, around their windows and things of that nature. These are people who don't have a formal college education. So the reality is that there are indeed workforce opportunities, there's indeed economic opportunities Opportunities in an economy that has had that has seen wage stagnation for more than two decades now—it's mm-hmm. a huge opportunity if we know if we're creative enough and strategic enough to, to uh,
1: create opportunities for people in this new economy. So let me ask you this, because you know I do some both international and domestic work, right. um, and you know some of our cities and states are beginning to better invest in the space that you're just talking mm-hmm. about. Uh, I know that China um, has. Uh, uh, they're investing literally hundreds of billions of dollars in, in the solar and wind space. Mm-hmm. How important is it for us here in this country uh, to actually be the leaders in this space? Um, and if we don't, do you see um, others in the international space filling that gap? Well, I think,
2: you know, luckily for us, the international community, has come together and recognized that there's opportunities around this. I don't know if it's as much important for us to be the leader in the space, mm-hmm. but certainly be competitive in the space. And by virtue of being competitive, usually the United States rises to the top mm-hmm. because we're typically the most creative, innovative uh, 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 country in the world. And so, yeah, we want to be there, and let's – Make sure that we bring everyone along and we don't leave folks behind. Let's not just make this an industry of entrepreneurs who have the capital to compete. Um, if we bring folks along and we create those pathways for folks to be trained and be competitive, we can create a more uh, and deeper economic
1: opportunity for everyone. Okay. And, and I want us to touch on that, this issue again in a little different way. Okay. But first, I want to talk a little bit about, because you have the, uh, the ability as the mayor, to really sort of guide those local policies and processes that are in place. I come out of a set of work where I feel that community's voice needs to be a driver or at least not just have a seat at the table, but also be able to help to mold things. So how does that play out sort of in your thinking of sort of what I often call a 21st century paradigm as we begin to bring new voices into the mix?
2: Yeah, first of all, you want industry experts and you want to be able to engage community on their thoughts. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm a 21st century mayor as I was running. Um, I didn't want to just say we want to be the green city. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be sustainable? Mm -hmm. And so we took a much much broader, comprehensive approach to sustainability as I came in as mayor. I didn't have – I dismantled an office that I really really felt it was more Mm -hmm. of a a marketing office around green uh, efforts and said, you know, I want to be more – more sustainable. And so I, I, I created and appointed the first sustainability officer in the city's history. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be broader. So now we're talking about food. We're talking about housing. We're talking about safety. We're talking about transportation. All this under the guise of how we become more environmentally sustainable, mm-hmm. right? Going mm-hmm. forward. So it is important that we, as a leader, that I set the stage. I set the, I set the platform in terms of what we're going to value and how we're going to pursue, pursue this. And that's what we attempted to do, um, when I first came into office. Now, with that said, we engage people to help guide us. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought we had to create a whole new food policy. They came in and said, no, no, no. There are enough of us already in the space, Mr. Mayor. All we need you to do is champion it. If you would champion it, we can expand it. And, and that's exactly what we did. And so we learned from them. I want to create a goal, a year in which we say we're going to be 100% renewable. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I said I wanted to do it, but I engaged the community and the stakeholders to come in and advise us on how we do it. We learned it a, a lot and hopefully in the next month or so I'll be able to announce what that date will be. We wanted to do it not just for marketing purposes, but a date that we can actually ascertain and we can all work toward uh, Mm -hmm. to get there. But we had to know what were the things we had to work on to get there, and the community helped us to understand
1: that. No that's excellent. You know and going back to something we just talked about, you know, in the renew renewable space, all these incredible opportunities that are in front of us. One of the things that that I often have to have conversations with the big green organizations, right. uh these these new organizations focused on a clean economy mm-hmm. is that diversity has to play a role there or we're just sort of moving one injustice to another injustice. Exactly. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about your thinking in that space? How important is it uh, and, and how are you um, envisioning right. uh, this new sort of future that we're all trying to grab hold of?
2: Thank you very much for bringing up, because I got to tell you, that to me is one of the big challenges of the um, climate change, the environmental justice community. Mm-hmm. And that is we have to be very careful. Not just to pursue the value, but to be mindful of what that value or how it impacts other people mm-hmm. in the economy. Um, and I think as a person of color, when I'm sitting at the table, my job and responsibility is to say this is a very important value. But let, well, well, let's make sure we understand uh, what it means to everybody along the socioeconomic um, realm, as well as every racial and cultural demographic. And, cause other than that, it just, it's just seen as a white, middle class, you know, mm-hmm. hippie kind of movement. And it will be dismissed. And we have an opportunity to make some real impact if we find a way to bring people along. But more importantly, people want to know that you're empathetic to mm-hmm. how these new regulations or new efforts might impact them. Mm-hmm. And you must demonstrate that. And the only way you demonstrate that is by engaging people and listening. And so it's important that uh, if we're going to be environmentally just, then let's be environmentally just. And that means we must engage mm-hmm. folks and make sure they have a seat at the table and we hear their voices. Um, because if not, then it's going to die on the vine. It's going to be seen again as that just that white, another one of those white movements.
1: I, I totally feel you on that. So let's talk a little bit about power. Yes. Um, so at A the movie, <laughs> exactly. The show, brother. That's show. the show is hot. Uh, Wakanda was hot. Showing <laughs> yeah, power. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, power comes in lots of different forms. We understand. Um, and one of the reasons I came to the hip hop caucus mm-hmm. uh, was because of their focus on the civic process. Right. We have the respect my vote campaign. We've registered over 600,000 folks wow. to engage in that civic process. Many of them are communities of color young people, returning citizens, um, can you talk a little bit about, because lots of times we have these great ideals, right, that we want to focus on, but sometimes folks get disengaged from the process and then wonder why we can't get to the promised land, if you will. Mm-hmm. How important is it for people to understand that their vote can equate to power, to right. resources, and can you walk folks through, if they really want to win on climate and the environment, what does that look like? What do they need to do?
2: Yeah, you know, one of the things that I would tell you that being a student of history, that when people tune in, um, great things happen. Mm-hmm. And every great movement, it was because people showed up. And the reality is, is that a wise old man once told me, and it turns out to be true every time, is that the world is run by those who show up. Mm-hmm. And if you're not in the room, you're on the menu, is, a, is another saying that, that, uh, and so the reality is, is that we as a community, regardless of what demographic you are, must show up. Don't expect that others will carry your interests for you. Mm-hmm. Being at the table, sharing your thoughts, engaging is what uh, gets you know your perspective heard, and make sure your interests are being um, at least acknowledged at the table. Now, far too often, and I'm sure this happens with you, and you, particularly in this uh, area in which you are so focused on, you walk in the room and there are no people. Of color. Mm-hmm. And and it, 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 if you're the only one, you have a, don't you feel immediately a sense of responsibility to make sure yep. that everyone's not jacked up in this process? Mm-hmm. And and it's unfortunate that we have to um, have to do everything we can to be very intentional about engaging our peers and our our uh, our kin. But the reality is, is that people walk in rooms; they need to stop and say, "Who's missing?" Mm -hmm. It is extremely important that we show up. It's important we show up in climate change discussions. It's important we show up in economic discussions. It's important we we show up in in safety discussions. Mm -hmm. You know, Had we been in the room on the war of drugs, maybe the war of drugs Mm -hmm. would not have been so devastating on our Mm -hmm. communities of color. So the reality is is that we've got to be in the the room. I don't care if you're R or D or UA, Mm -hmm. show up. And, and make sure our perspectives are, are being heard, otherwise if they won't be. Mm-hmm. Chances are they won't be heard. So civic engagement is extremely important, and I feel when you talk about power, to me, power is really defined by how you can engage people and invite them to the table and have them feel like their voice will be heard at this point in time. Mm. That's power. That is power. And, and it's important that People feel engaged, and it's important that they know that when they walk out of room, you heard them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I often talk about when I'm traveling around the country, reclaiming our power. Yeah. You know, understanding what that looks like, what that can translate to, mm-hmm. uh, and that you actually have it unless you give it away. Right, right. Um, so, so I'm glad to hear you say that. I want to talk a little bit also about the power of culture. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, all of us are influenced by culture in, in different ways. Some, it's through music. Uh, some, it's through poetry. Some, it, it's through a play maybe they saw, maybe through literature. I'm curious, because this would not be the coolest show on climate right, change. Right, right, If we didn't talk about sort of how culture um, has played a role, Um, in your life, uh, and also, you know, I'm not asking you to call out anyone, but you know, if there are some favorite artists or songs that have helped to guide you over the years, I I actually sat down with someone one time and they talked about Marvin Gaye, talked about Mercy Mercy Me, talked about, you know, some of the other music that was a guiding force, um, as they were coming up or now. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm just going to turn that over to you for a couple of seconds. Oh man, there's
2: no more powerful universal language than music. Mm. And uh, having grown up, my mother grew up in Los Angeles, and she performed with the Platters when they were teenagers. My wife is a professional entertainer. She sings. Uh, and so music has played such a critical role in my life from the time I can remember as a little boy waking up smelling pine saw listening to my mother dance and move to, to Al Green in the morning. She cleaned the house on Saturday morning. So those are senses and musics that uh, are sounds that I will never, ever forget. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, music has brought our culture, particularly, I'm speaking specifically the African-American community, full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and to give you an example of what I'm talking about, when this nation needed a way to celebrate our history, when this nation needed a way to celebrate Dr. King's holiday, mm-hmm. what happens? Mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder comes up mm-hmm. with his anthem, mm-hmm. Happy Birthday. Mm-hmm. You know, um, um, so that, that to me is him using the most powerful tool. First of all, it's Stevie Wonder. But two, too, Stevie understands the power of music mm-hmm. to bring people together. No one knew that better than Aretha Franklin. And the music that Aretha put out there, and all her anthems for women, Chaka Khan, mm-hmm. you know. So listen, as my wife performs a lot of this music, I sit there and you start thinking, you "Go, wow, those were great moments And the kind of this nation. The Motown movement mm-hmm. was one of the most timely movements ever. And that music today is still real and timely Mm -hmm. uh, and still inspires
1: generations of people across all different kind of demographics. So speaking about generations, can you talk a little bit about the role that you see young people, that that innovation, that energy playing um, Mm -hmm. in our new future that we are designing?
2: You know, our nation, our world's largest uh, generation, the millennials, has the attention of everybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, and I think they have a tremendous. Opportunity to impact politics, to impact business, and they've already are impacting business in the way we do, Mm -hmm. how we live our lives. The the disruptive technologies that this generation is bringing forward, whether it's uh, Uber Mm -hmm. or it's Facebook, you know, whatever that disruptive technology is, Mm -hmm. Airbnb, it is already they're already impacting the social economic. Uh, fabric of this nation. And so, um, I'm excited about the millennial generation. I talk about them all the time mm-hmm. because I think 50 years from now, God willing, we'll be here mm-hmm. to, at hundred some odd years old to say, man, you guys really made a difference. Similar to what the baby boomer generation has, you know, did for America, but they are changing, they're changing society
1: as we know it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about. It. Oh, no, I agree with you without a doubt. Yeah. So you, you talked about 50 years in the future. Let's bring it just a little bit closer yeah. home. Yeah. Um, you know, if we could jump in our time machine, yeah. um, uh, not our, uh, phono, what is that phone booth that Scott Pruitt was trying to put in the EPA? We're going to get into our time yeah. machine. Yeah, I got you. Uh, let's go 10 years into the future. What would you like to see, um, our country, uh, the city of Denver looking like at that time in relationship to the issues we've been talking about?
2: Well, you know what? I think if you if we
1: stop right now and ask everyone, what are the issues of our time? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I think it's equity. Mm-hmm. I think um, people will talk about um, just the balance of power um, and the uh, access to, to opportunity, right? And I would, if you ask me what I want to see about Denver and this nation, is that we continue to break down those barriers that that separate us in mm-hmm. terms of uh, access to opportunity, access to capital, things of that nature. I think this, like you know, like I said, the millennial generation, what they're doing is they're erasing all those boundaries that might divide us in terms mm-hmm. of access to capital, access. Because today you can have no money, and because of the technology that they have brought to the market, mm-hmm. you're going to actually create a whole new industry and opportunity for yourself. And I think that is going to be the power. The the plane the playing field is being leveled. Mm-hmm. Uh, to where it's not about the formal education anymore like it was when you and I grew up. Yeah. It's going to be about your understanding of this technology and your understanding about how to get from point A to point B on whatever you're trying to do. And so I hope to see further erasing of those boundaries, further leveling of the playing field for all people who choose to jump in, do the right thing, and be productive, uh, and, 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 and increasing opportunities for those who live along the margins.
1: Without a doubt. Without a doubt, everybody, you have been listening to Think 100, the coolest show on climate. We just got a little bit cooler today because we had Mayor Michael Hancock representing Denver here with us, just dropping incredible knowledge. We are so blessed, Mayor, to have you in the position that you are. Um, And the country is blessed also to see a man of color leading his city uh, with distinction and honor and focused on um, the possibilities that this new economy has for all of us. So I just want to say thank you again for being with us. Can you share with folks how they can stay in contact with you?
2: Sure. It's Real simply, uh, you can hit me at MalhaiMayor at denvergov.org. And, you know, my Twitter (laughs) handle is what I'm trying to say, (laughs) at Mayor Hancock. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and we'll respond to you. But I'm thinking people, they, they don't, they hear you. Mm -hmm. They may not see you, but I want y'all to know I'm sitting with the coolest man in the world right now. This dude, two days in a row now I've seen him. Sharp as a tack. And, uh, just appropriate. So <laughs> thanks for having me, man. It's uh, real honor to be in your presence. Your, 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 reputation precedes you and, uh, you're doing good stuff around the globe.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Appreciate it so much. Everybody, uh, continue to stay tuned to Think 100, the coolest show on climate change, think100.info for all of our previous guests and our future guests who are coming to share this incredible knowledge with you. And we want to thank Mayor Michael Hancock, again, of Denver, for just sharing with us that incredible vision for how we can move forward, for how we can actually make real positive change that's inclusive and make sure that all of our communities can benefit as we move forward. You know, uh, over the month of June, we had sort of some rough times, and, and, you know, folks talk about that. You know, we had some rough times and some fights uh, in relationship to the Trump administration and some of the decisions that have been made, not only on the border, but also in relationship to public health and the environment. And we've also had some challenging times uh, around the Supreme Court. But we also understand that uh, we can reclaim our power and we can make real change happening. You know, recently, Reverend Yearwood sat down with Andy Behar. Now, Andy is the CEO of As You Sow. They are an amazing team that is working for a better future for all of us. So let's check out this amazing conversation.
3: Welcome back. You are listening to Hip Hop Caucus. Think 100 percent. The coolest show on climate change. I am here with my good brother, Andrew Behar who is the CEO of As You So. Andy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Rev? I'm doing good. First, for folks who don't know you, give a little background of who you are and what is As You Say.
4: Sure. So As You Say, the nonprofit based in Oakland, California, we've been around since 1992. And what we do is shareholder advocacy. We hold corporations accountable for their actions. Mm-hmm. And we particularly focus on climate, but we also do human rights issues and environmental health issues as well. So when you say hold corporations accountable, what does that mean, particularly for our movement? Okay. So that means that we are speaking directly to the executives and the board of Exxon, Chevron, Anadarko, Hess, all the big oil companies, all the big utilities, and we are asking them as shareholders. We're saying, why are you not telling us the truth about stranded assets? Why are you not telling us the truth about how you are going to survive and thrive in a carbon-constrained world? these big companies are having huge financial problems and they're not telling their shareholders, and that's something that they are required to do by the SEC. So we're demanding our rights as shareholders to get the truth from these companies and to hear how is it that they're going to continue business.
3: So And take a step back for us. So for folks who are listening to this show, we have a lot of listeners who are new to the climate movement. Mm -hmm. They are a lot of young activists who are making it happen, um, and they have sometimes just want to be in the streets because they've seen that when there's a lot of street heat. Um, you're kind of talking about sweet heat here, uh, as we like to say. I guess from the streets to the sweets, as we would say. Explain to them what shareholder activism is, um, why that's important, and why are you following the money? Okay, so first of all,
4: the heat in the street creates heat in the sweet. <laughs> I love it. Because... <laughs> They're listening. These are Mm. those people are their customers. These people are who are out there in the streets are creating an environment where when shareholders come in and we say, We need information, it just it just ramps it all up. So here's sort of the to back up, if you are a shareholder of Exxon, if you own shares of Exxon. Give some one, two, three on what it means to be a shareholder. Okay. If you buy shares in Exxon or in Chevron. Those are called equities. You you can buy them, you can buy them at ETrade or Charles Schwab, or you can buy them directly. So you physically you own these shares. That means that you own the company. You mm. the, the company exists to serve the shareholders. The board of directors is there to serve the shareholders. You mm. actually own let's just say you own hundred shares of Exxon. So you own a very small piece of Exxon because it's a Three hundred billion dollar company, and you own, let's say, five thousand dollars worth of Exxon. So, but you have rights, and if you own two thousand dollars worth of Exxon for one year, you are allowed to submit what's called a proposal or a resolution. It's a five hundred word document that you submit to the corporate secretary that asks the company a question, and they must put it onto the proxy, which means that at the annual meeting, and by the way, today is the Exxon and the Chevron annual meeting. Wow. So every shareholder will be asked to vote on it. So, for instance, back in 2013, I guess, we filed the first stranded asset resolution. It was based on the work of of the carbon bubble stuff by Mark Campanelli and Carbon Tracker. Mm-hmm. So that whole idea of that these companies have to keep it in the ground because if they were to extract all of the oil that they own, that they have in reserves, it would burn the planet to the ground. And so they're going to have to keep about 80% of it in the ground. Wow. So we asked as shareholders, well, if you can't take all of these reserves that you've got
1: mm-hmm.
4: and you can't sell them, then how can you, how can you, your stock be worth what it's worth? And so... That question has resonated now for many, many years, and the biggest shareholders in the world have gotten involved in this. And um, so there's literally like all the big pension funds all over Europe, all over the United States, they are all voting on these resolutions at the companies saying, tell us how you're going to do it. It's not making sense to us. It's not making sense in in economic terms because you're not going to be able to sell all this oil and gas.
3: So let's take I mean, this is, I mean, I think for folks who are listening right now, this is a whole new way of activism mm-hmm. and getting involved. And they probably think, okay, this is great, but isn't it a little bit of an oxymoron or a little bit of a problem when we're actually, for Exxon and Shell, who we actually want to maybe stop doing their current business plan. Um, and for many young people, their business plan means a death sentence for future generations. We want them to stop doing that.
4: Will they listen to me? Well, that's the problem, and that's why the divestment movement is so powerful, because ultimately all the shareholders Explain in Exxon... Explain that. Okay. What's a divestment movement? Divestment movement is when you, if you own stock in Exxon and you sell it, you have divested. You have gotten rid of it. You've, you've cashed it in. And if you believe that Exxon stock is going to be going down, you probably want to sell it soon. Now, we believe that that's the case. We believe that there's a lot of risk in these companies, a lot of risk because their value is based on the fact that they think they're going to be able to sell all this oil and gas, and we don't think they're going to. So it, it really comes down to a question of if you believe in the future of oil and gas, which we don't, and I can tell you um, just yesterday the in, in Europe, there was a major um, statement that was made. This is a quote from the group of all the the, um, the European that. Parliament. All right. They said, since we have all... Since, since we will have eliminated fossil fuels from our economy by the middle of the century, we also need to eliminate assets that depend on them from our financial system. Wow. So what that means is we're not going to be using oil and gas by 2050, according to the European Parliament. Therefore, you don't want to own companies whose entire basis of being is based on oil and gas because you, your shares will become worthless. Wow. Wow.
3: Well, Annie is dropping in here today and getting us updated. If you are tuning in, you are tuning in to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. And I'm sitting here with my brother, Annie Behar, who is the CEO of As You Sow. As You Sow is an amazing organization, and their purpose is quite simple. They harness shareholder power to create lasting change that benefits people, planet, and profit. And they've been doing this, y'all, since nineteen ninety two, where they have been raising the shareholder voice to increase corporate responsibility on a broad range of environmental and social issues. Andy, since you've been doing this, how far have we come on that mission?
4: Well, there's a that's a that's a big question. Okay. So okay, so on climate change. Let, let me let me back up here. Definitely. There's some issues where you can put pressure on a company, where you're actually helping the company a lot. And I'll give you mm-hmm. an example. This happened just this year. So another issue that we're working on is ocean plastics. Okay. okay. That's uh, a big deal. Big deal. They, plastic they, the whole, they say okay. there's yes. going to be more plastic in the ocean than fish by 2050. That's, uh, scientists are saying that we're just overwhelming the ocean with plastics, hmm. single-use plastics. So we filed a shareholder resolution at McDonald's, and other companies, and we said, you, you gave up the, the styrofoam, the clamshell, 30 years ago. Why are you still using styrofoam cups? This is bad for business. It's bad for your image. And it took some time, but we got them to agree to stop using a billion styrofoam cups worldwide. So it's at 34,000 restaurants around the world. A few weeks later, we got Dunkin' Donuts to agree to stop using a billion Styrofoam cups. So just this year... And this is a major, I mean, that's a big this, deal. These are big. So, and Styrofoam gets into the ocean, it breaks down just tiny particles the fish eat, it gets into the food chain, but also the use of single-use plastics. We got Unilever, we got Colgate, we got um, Procter & Gamble, all to agree to stop using non-recyclables. And the, and the reason I'm, I'm going to connect this back to... Climate change, mm-hmm. because all these single-use plastics that are all getting dumped in the ocean are all made out of petrochemicals. Mm-hmm. They are made out of gas. They're made out of oil. When you have that, that's how you make plastic. That's right. So this, these plastics are also another area that the oil companies see as demand. That they're going to, we're going to have. You're going to need lots of oil because you got to make lots of plastic that you can use for 30 seconds and then throw away, and it'll last on the planet for another 500 years. So. That's their assumption. So as we start to recycle, as we start stop using single-use plastics, we're also cutting into the oil company's revenue. Got it. So mm. it's all tied together. It's all tied together. And the oil companies, well, they are controlling our government. They, they do massive lobbying, and they are trying to survive. Yet what it looks like is we can now power this whole planet with renewables. We don't need oil anymore. And they realize this, and so they're just playing for time. They're playing to make as much money as they can, and they do not care about what the temperature of the planet's going to be.
3: Let's, let's get on that for a second. Our, our show, if you're tuning in, this is Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, and that's kind of our, our name is thinking mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, uh, re, uh, renewable, we want to transition from fossil fuels to clean energy. Um, some of these companies are seen as not so trustworthy. Um, there's been things out I know folks that Exxon knew, in other words, they knew about climate change back in the Mm eighties. Um, there've been folks out there, my good friends out there who are listening out there in Seattle and around about Shell Shell No, um Mm -hmm. fighting Shell corporation. Um, clearly, um, you know, there have been so many companies that have been out there who people feel like, man, these companies have an agenda. To continue to push fossil fuels, so when we have these shareholders who put forth, you know, the, these these arguments to transition or to have them, you know, to be to, to consider it, how does that? How do you see their trustworthiness going into some of these shareholder meetings? Bluntly, one hundred. Okay,
4: as, 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 as my last, co-host. Okay, last but, year. Keep la- it real. Okay, keep it real. Last year. Exxon had a shareholder resolution asking them for a plan about how they are going to make it work with a two-degree world. That's what the Paris Climate Agreement Mm -hmm. said, so uh, actually below two degree. They came out with a report that was deemed, quote, defective by by top analysts. They did not answer the question. This is a majority vote. 62% of this corporation voted for it. So 60% of a $300 billion corporation. Here we're talking about, um, well, So, you know, c- call it $200 billion is voting against, or voting for this resolution and telling the company, you got to tell us the truth. Hmm. And the company said, yeah, we'll tell you the truth. And then they put out this report that was completely defective. And I don't know what happened today at the annual meeting, but we have been advocating very strongly that everybody who voted for that resolution should vote against the Exxon board. Because the Exxon board is ultimately responsible for their disclosures to, to shareholders. These are what are known as material disclosures. That means that it's, it's considered information that a shareholder needs to know whether to buy or sell the stock. And that is something that's governed by law that they must tell us. And they're not. They're just withholding this information. So uh, we do not have a good record. Um, Shell, you mentioned Shell. There was a 99 percent vote. So 99 percent of shareholders voted uh, with Shell. This was about three years ago um, around climate. Two months after that meeting, they literally lifted anchor on their drilling rig, Hmm. broke through all those kayaktivists. And shout out to the and kayaktivists. Those don't know who kayaked, those are. Activists in kayaks. Thousands of kayaks in Seattle <laughs> surrounded the rig. It's the most amazing picture. They're like tiny toothpicks, this 30-story rig, just busted through them mm. and headed up to the Arctic, ran aground, broke their drilling rig, came back limping home, and took a $7.5 billion loss that the shareholders had to pay. They said they're not going back to the Arctic. It's the com- they keep doing that. We keep having these... What we think are really good, candid discussions with them, they say they're going to do something and then they do just the opposite. So there's very little trust between shareholders and the boards and management of these big oil companies, which is why we're really at a point now where the big shareholders are divesting. There's now $6 trillion of assets, mostly foundations, who have said, we are getting out of oil. And you know what? they've been doing they've been making more money in, in in the stock market because the oil companies have been doing terribly the stock the un, they've been underperforming the stock mm-hmm. market now we just did an analysis of the four biggest pension funds which is CalPERS CalSTRS New York City and New York State so that's that's big pension funds um if they had divested 10 years ago how much more money would they have because we know that oil has been doing just terribly mm-hmm. um the number is 61 billion dollars So if you're in New York, let's just say you're New York State and your pension, so you're putting money into this pension fund, and they're supposed to be taking good care of it and making it grow, they lost $17 billion. I'm talking about like $16,000 per person who's putting money in. Harvard, they said they're not going to divest because they didn't want to lose money. They lost $3.5 billion. That's $162,000 per student, current student. So. The people making these decisions are making very, very poor fiduciary decisions. They're losing money. And the reason that they're saying they want to hold the stock is to try to change the companies yet. They're really not. They're just nibbling at the edges. Some of the companies have reduced their you know, some of their emissions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe they turn off the lights at night in their headquarters. But come on. But come no, on. no, but I'm serious. No, no, no. <laughs> that is a reduction of of emissions, but they're not getting at the heart of climate change, which is mm. their product. So let's let's let's
3: hit on that because two things. One, you have worked you created a report discussing the clean two hundred. Yes, And so explain what that is. And also discuss recently what the mayor of New York, uh, Bill de Blasio, and what that meant for what they were pulling out of
4: certain stocks. Okay. So the Clean 200, we put out this report every six months. And what we do is we look at all of the cleanest companies in the world. So the companies that are making the most revenue from clean. clean, Okay. Um, We look at companies that are actually making revenue from... Doing things doing renewables, solar, doing wind. solar, wind, electric cars, <laughs> batteries, um, I mean just just insulating your, your house okay and there's companies that are making insulation or, or super gla- thick glass that keeps the heat in. Think about how much number two heating oil is used in just New York City. If you insulated all of the buildings, you could use probably half. We could use half of the oil and gas that we 're using now if people just did the most simple simple things on energy efficiency it 's where the energy companies are so happy that all that heat is going up through the roof and out the windows because they 're going to sell you more oil, just like having cars that that have really poor mileage. they love that and and in fact, we just filed a shareholder resolution with Ford and GM because They decided to fight these new these standards, these energy efficiency standards standards that are called CAFE standards. Mm -hmm. C A F E is it's an acronym, but it's fuel efficiency. And we asked as shareholders, we said, "Why are you fighting that? Don't you realize that China and India have both stated that they are going to have allow no internal combustion engines in their countries by 2030? It's going to be all electric. Don't you want a piece of that market?" And so these companies are doing the opposite of what they should be doing in terms of their own businesses. So those Clean 200 are those. So, oh, give, so, me, so give me some background so, on, the, on those 200 So companies. Clean 200. So we, we take all the companies in the world. We, we take only the ones that have a billion-dollar market cap. Mm-hmm. We throw out all the oil companies and all the ones that are, like, in weapons and prisons and that kind of thing. And then the rest, we just put an order of their revenue, and we publish this list. And it turns out to be a list of companies that are, Mostly doing energy efficiency. I, I mean, that's what that all the new ones coming on are all energy efficiency, or they're like smart meters, and these companies are doing really well. It's just this. It's a there's a well, boom happening. Let's explain
3: that. So some folks I know who will come and say, well, hey man, Rev, Mustafa, I mean, we hear you, but you know, we still believe we can make more money from
4: fossil fuel or dirty companies is that uh, what is that is that is that a fact no it's wrong this is just just flat out wrong just the oil and gas industry has underperformed wow. the rest of the uh, the rest of the index the rest of the S&P 500 by incredible amounts and it's um no it's just simply a, a an incorrect statement yeah. and we're going to be publishing a report that's going to show just how much has been lost if you stayed in oil and gas So if you want to de-risk your portfolio, if you want to get away from the risk of oil and gas in terms of just money, you should sell them. If you want to send a message to these companies, you should sign that divestment pledge and we also recommend for some for some people hold on to enough shares that you can file resolutions because you can keep that conversation and that pressure going to have for them to disclose continually disclose uh, and I think it's so important because I think you,
3: know, you understand
4: that you I mean
3: in the civil rights movement we're very fortunate we've seen for Reverend Jesse Jackson mm-hmm. and how he's used that kind of shareholder ability to talk about diversity on mm-hmm. boards and so and we've definitely seen it from apartheid part of movement in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So I think for folks listening, hearing this, they're saying that this is, this is this is another way they can literally buy a piece, a very small piece. How much would you say they should buy? Like if they're listening, how much should they buy? Well, you you, you have to
4: have $2,000 worth okay.
3: in order to file. Okay, that's important. So $2,000 worth to file. And then you can use that. And if you have enough of that, you have an ability to have a seat at the table.
4: Yeah now but this links into what you asked me about the about New York City and New York mm, State. Definitely. Okay so Mario Cuomo the governor of New York he decided that New York State should divest from fossil fuels. They're losing money and also to make a very clear statement that they do not want to be part of that industry. So New York City and the New York City pension fund which is oh let's just call it round numbers 170 billion dollars they said, all right, we're going to divest. And they're in the process, they're going to do it over time. Uh, New York State, however, they simply said, well, you're not the boss of me, and we're not going to divest. And so they're having a bit of a, a schism there. Now, add to that that New York State was the filer who filed that resolution at Exxon that got that majority vote. And We've been asking them now for the last two months because Exxon came to them in December and said, we're going to write you such a good report. And New York State said, oh, okay, then we're going to withdraw the resolution this year. Mm-hmm. Then Exxon gave them this defective report. And th- How do they do that? How does that happen? That happens because New York State is not did not negotiate well hmm. and didn't. And frankly, if we had been the lead on it, we would never have done that. And we were the lead at Exxon a few years ago. But they... Anyway, that's a whole other story. But um, we don't believe in withdrawing until we actually have substance from a company. But New York State decided to do it. So we said, well, look, because you did this, you need to publicly make a statement that you're going to vote against the board. And they kept promising and saying they would, they would, they would, but never did. And so today was the day. And we'll see whether they did and to see whether it had any impact and to see who on the board got votes against them. Uh, You know, that's, I I don't know. Literally, I will not know that for a few hours. I will get some information. Wow. If
3: you If you're tuning in, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. We have my brother Andy from As You Sow and as you probably have gathered so far, we are big fans of their work because um, they are making some real impact across a set of issues, including inequality, the environment, and gun violence. For So for those who don't know about the organization's work regarding uh, equality and gun violence
4: and peace, give a little background on that and what's clear sure. on that. What we realize is that as, as we were working in the divestment movement and people were signing a pledge, just individuals saying, I will divest from fossil fuels. I don't want to be part of this. We came to realize that most people don't own equities. They don't own shares of Exxon or Chevron. They own what are called mutual funds. Hmm. And a lot of people at work... Explain that for okay, folks listening. Okay, so at work, there's these things called 401k plans. And what it is, if you're, your job may offer you the ability to put aside some of your paycheck, every paycheck, you could put $10, you could put $100 or whatever you want, sometimes the company matches it, so you actually double your money instantly. So a, a lot of companies do that, to incentivize people to save for retirement. It's always in mutual funds. Now, a mutual fund is a basket of stocks. So you could have a mutual fund that has 500 stocks in it. And so you're buying a share of this basket of stocks. But no one knows what's in the basket. So Mm. people think they might have divested because the name of the fund is – it could be even fossil-free. There's fossil-free funds that have 41 fossil fuel companies in them. There's very little – standardization to this language we've been working very hard on that so people don't know what's inside so we built a bunch of tools so people could type in the the name of any mutual fund and it'll tell you exactly which fossil fuel companies are in it whether those companies are oil field like like pipeline companies uh, you know like building the dakota access pipeline whether they're companies with reserves, whether they're coal-fired utilities. We also did the same thing now with weapons. That's going to be launched in about three weeks. You'll be able to tell if you own um, assault rifle makers, uh, ammunition, handguns, retailers that sell them, cluster munitions, landmines, nukes. We are going to be also doing one on prisons. So there's about 80 companies that are involved in the mass incarceration industry. And people want to know, do I own it? Also, we're going to be doing one on gender. So at the end of the year in November, we'll be coming out with one that looks at – so imagine you got a basket of stocks and you got, say, 500 or 300 or sometimes a 1,000 stocks in one of these mutual funds. We will analyze every company inside of it for how they treat women on 10 different variables. Do they have women on the board? Do they have equal pay? Do they have uh, sexual harassment policies? Do they execute these policies? Do they have um, you know, equal pay for equal work? And then we aggregate it up so we can look at the whole mutual fund against any other mutual fund.
3: So if folks want to find out more about where they can get this information, give them the address for your website and all that stuff. But, yeah. then, And where else they can find this information?
4: Well, if you go to As You Sow, and it's S-O-W, A-S-Y-O-U, S-O-W is in the biblical phrase, As You Sow, So Shall Ye Reap? Um I like that. You know, I'm Rev, so dot, I kinda like that. O R G. We're we're a nonprofit, so as you sow.org, you'll find links to everything. Um, there's papers, there's all kinds of analysis, but there's also links to these, you know, all these tools to to help you to figure out what you own. Because that's the start. If you don't know what you own, then you can't be aligned with your investing and mm. and your mm. and, and how you invest, that's your that's your biggest like chunk of money. I know it's look, it's important that you go buy uh, you know, organic lettuce or, uh, you know, a, a shirt that's not been, the cotton has not been harvested by slave labor. Mm-hmm. And if you can, if you know that, we, we work on that issue, by the way, too. I have one of my staff is in Uzbekistan right now dealing with that. Right. Um, but we're, I got lost. Oh, so that's important It's how you spend your money and you spend so it part on. It's part of the also with in impact investing as well. Right. Well, impact investing is investing in, you know, very, you know, sometimes specific projects yeah. like helping a community, um, building community centers, community housing, that kind of thing where you actually have really specific, really can touch people's lives and, and really fund projects that make a big difference. So um, important how you spend your money, important how you, where you bank. Um, just read a report two days ago that even though they say they're out of coal, we got J.P. Morgan, we got Bank of America, Citibank, all right. back funding coal. Yep. And even though they said they're not going to, they're back doing it. And that's so. Do you have a credit card from Chase? Do you? you know, where do you bank? And all of this is collectively all this capital, all of the money is has a major impact on what gets built, what what the future is going to be. And if you can invest in a future that you want to live in and a future that is just and equitable, um, that's what's going to happen. If you don't have a clue what you own, so you're invested in the very system that you are resisting, then it's going to stay the same.
3: Wow. Well, Andy, man, thank you for being on, I think, 100%. When we come to the West Coast, uh, you got to give us some updates on how many shareholders meetings take. Thank you for being with us, brother. Hey, my pleasure. Man, y'all listening to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, a hip hop caucus platform. Let's keep this important dialogue going. Be a part of the conversation by following us on social media at Think 100 Show and at Hip Hop Caucus. Visit our website at think100.info for blog content, information on upcoming events, or to connect with us. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever podcasts are available so you'll never miss an episode. Rate and review us or simply tell a friend. Climate change impacts all of us. And if we think 100%, we can achieve a 100% sustainable and just world together.